think I mentioned in a previous sermon about a year or so ago, there's an organization called the Center for Bible Engagement. And they did a study where they asked this question. They asked, what is the single most powerful predictor of spiritual growth? Now think about that question for a second. I mean, what is the single greatest predictor of spiritual growth? If I were to answer that question, I would say, well, I think it's powerful, insightful, inspiring preaching. I mean, that, that really is the predictor of spiritual growth, right? I mean, if we just have great sermons, then people will grow spiritually. But that really wasn't the answer. Somebody else says, well, it's, it's regular church attendance. If we can just get people to take the step of being regular, I mean, not just once a month or ever so often, but we can convince people that it is really important to be here every week, well, then that's the most powerful predictor of spiritual growth. But that's not the answer either. Some might say, well, it's maybe getting folks more engaged in the, in the disciplines, in spiritual disciplines. It's, it's uh, getting people to be quiet or before God, or maybe it's, it's prayer or fasting or something like that. That's not the most powerful predictor of spiritual growth. The most powerful predictor of spiritual growth, according to this study, and they studied 100,000 people. Here's what they found. The single greatest predictor of spiritual growth is engagement with Scripture four or more days a week. The Bible is the greatest resource for spiritual growth, and our engagement with the Bible is the greatest predictor of spiritual growth. But here's the sad fact. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. I mean, every year, you know, year in, year out, there are more Bibles sold in bookstores across the world. There are more Bible apps downloaded than any other book. And yet, though it's the best-selling book of all time, I'm not convinced it's the most read book of all time. So, for the next few minutes, my task is this. I mean, if that is true, and it is, if our spiritual growth and maturity is largely dependent on our engagement with this word, I mean, it's not enough just to hear the word preached. That's important. And I hope every Sunday when you walk away, you, you'll say, Kevin talked about the word of God. I hope that's what you say. It's not enough for us just to be in good Bible classes. I mean, we're a church that has 80% of our members, 80% of Sunday morning attendance will be in a Bible class. That's amazing. That's great. We have great Bible classes. That's important. But friends, that's not enough for your spiritual growth. No, what we must have is, is we have to be so inspired and motivated that, that I'm going to spend time at least four days a week. I would suggest every day. But we need to spend time at least four days a week in Bible engagement, and that is a, is a huge indicator on whether or not you're going to deepen and grow spiritually in Christ. So my task is to, is to motivate you uh, to read the Bible at least four days a week. And I want to use one passage of Scripture in order to do that. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to turn to your Old Testament. Now, before I tell you where we're turning, here are a couple of trivia questions. What's the longest book in the Bible? Who wants to tell me what that is? What's the longest book in your Bible? 
Absolutely. It's the book of Psalms. How many chapters are in Psalms? There's 150 chapters in Psalms. Now, here's the second trivia question. What's the longest chapter in your Bible? Who can tell me that? It's what? It's Psalm 119. And it's amazing. If you just open your Bible up, right in the middle of your Bible, you'll find the Psalms. And right in the middle of the Psalms, you'll find Psalm 119. I think it's significant that the longest book in the Bible is the book of Psalms. That says something to me about the importance of praise and worship. Because really, the Psalms is the songbook of the ancient church. It's a, it's a book that's filled with, with praise and worship to God. Really, it's the only book where we're speaking to God. Every other book in the Bible, it's God speaking to us. But in the Psalms, it's really we're speaking, the writer is speaking to God. And so it's significant that the longest book in the Bible is about really praise and worship. And the longest chapter in your Bible, Psalm 119, it's about loving the Word of God. Now let me tell you a couple of interesting things about Psalm 119. Some of this I mentioned about a year ago, but it's important for us to be reminded of it again. Um, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's the language of the Old Testament is Hebrew. And unlike our language, English, there's 26 letters. In Hebrew, there are 22 letters. Now, it's fascinating. How many sections do you think there are in Psalm 119? Well, there are 22 sections. And if you just look at Psalm 119, if you have a, a Bible in your lap, and you just sort of thumb through it, you can see that, that there are 22 sections, and each section in Psalm 119 corresponds with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. So, for instance, in Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8, you'll notice in a lot of your, your current uh, English translations, at the very top it'll have the word Aleph. Do some of y'all see that? And then, and then beside that word, there's the Hebrew symbol for that. Well, that's in the Hebrew language, that's the letter A. That's their first letter. And then you'll notice in the next eight verses, 9 through 16, you'll see the word bet. It looks like Beth. And beside that, there's the Hebrew letter for bet, or for bet and that's the, that's the word, that's the letter B. And then the, the next, you see Gimel, verses 17 through 24. On and on it goes. Now, here's the fascinating thing. This is what the writer of Psalm 119 does. So in the first eight verses, where you have this word Aleph, the first word in the first verse of that first section, every first word begins with the letter A or Aleph. You don't see that in your English Bible, but if you had a Hebrew Bible, you would see that. And in the second section, verses 9 through 16, where you see the word Bet, verse 9, and every verse in that section begins with the letter Bet, or B, and so on. It's really quite, quite amazing. And then here's something else that's fascinating about Psalm 119 that we need to understand. There are eight words that are used in Psalm 119. That's, and one of these eight words is found in every single verse except for four verses. And there's 176 verses in Psalm 119, so that's a lot. But there are eight words that really are synonyms for the idea of the Word of God. Words like command, words like law, words like statue and precepts, and, and words like testimonies and promises. Eight words that could be used, that are synonymous for the Word of God. Psalm 119 
friends, is this carefully constructed poem designed to inspire us to love the Word of God. And so the theme in Psalm 119 is this, how I love the Word. And the word love is not too strong. Look at Psalm uh, 119, verse 20. I think it'll be on the screen. It says, My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. The writer says, My soul, or the deepest part of me, is consumed with longing. I mean, I love the law of God. Now, in verse 97, it just says that point blank. Oh, how I love your law. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, isn't that a bit strange? Isn't that a bit much? I mean, to love, to love the law? I've never heard anybody say, oh, how I love the 70-mile-per-hour speed limit. I mean, I've never heard anyone say that. Have you? Now, we might say, I like the 70-mile-an-hour speed limit a lot better than that 55-mile-an-hour speed limit we had about 10 or 15 years ago. But to say, I love the law, isn't that a bit of a stretch? Well, it depends what we mean by the word law. You see, Paul tells us in Romans 7 that the law is good and spiritual. Jesus once told us that the law hangs on these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The law is fundamentally a revelation of the character of God. And so the writer loves the law because it's through the law, through the precepts, through the testimonies, through the promises of God that he comes to understand something of the character or the nature of God. All of these words, the testimonies, the precepts, the promises, the word, the law, all of that reveals one aspect of the nature of God. And so he loves the law because it's through this law, through this word, through these testimonies and promises that he comes to understand what God is like. But there's another reason why he loves the law. He loves the law because, because of what it does in his life. And so he mentions in Psalm 119 several things that, that it does. So for instance, he says in verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I like that idea of hiding the word in our heart. This word, he says, is stored in the deepest place. It's stored in the depths of his heart. Now, there's a, a real practical reason why he does this. He says, I've hidden the word deeply in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Somehow, this, this word that's hidden in his heart, it, it helps him, it inoculates him against sin. Have you noticed there are all sorts of things stored in our hearts? A lot of times there are all sorts of benign and useless things that are stored in the deepest places of our heart. Right now, I can tell you my phone number uh, from when I grew up. I mean, I had the same phone number, 618-995-2237. When I grew up, Southern Illinois, that was the phone number. That was back when we all had, you know, landlines. And, man, I knew that it remained the same all those years. I will never forget that number. Now, I can't remember my cell phone number right now, if you were to ask me. I couldn't tell you what that is, but I've got my, my number from growing up. Sometimes one of the things we like to do, I like to do with the guys, um, is, is come up with li movie lines. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? And, and that movie is just filled with, 
with classic lines. And sometimes we'll sit around and say, so let, let's remember movie lines. And my, my favorite line, <laughs> I, I have a, a favorite line uh, from, from that uh, movie is when they're sitting around eating and one of the guys says, we thought you was a toad. I mean, I love that line. And it's just stored in the deepest place in my heart. And a lot of times just useless, silly things are stored in the deepest places. But sometimes there are some things that are more destructive that are stored in our hearts. Thoughts of revenge, inappropriate fantasies. I mean, there's some things that really get into the deepest places that, that cause us pain and difficulty. So what if, what if we were to hide something in our hearts that would help heal us? What if we were to hide something deep in our hearts that would give us the strength to live right and do what God wishes for us to do? What if we were to hide something deep in our hearts that would help us to experience victory over sin? Psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But there's something else that he says. Through this word, the psalmist will say, I gain this thing that we all need, this thing called wisdom. I mean, you find this all through Psalm 119. An example are in verses 98 through 100, which says, Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all teachers. I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. I obey your precepts. He says, through this word, I gain wisdom. But something else the word does, it provides comfort in my struggles. Notice this. Look at verse 50. Verse 50, where it says, My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The promises of God that are deep in our heart help us when we struggle. I remember one time I was going through a time in my life when I was experiencing a lot of struggle. And so during that time, I memorized Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. And that prayer came to mean so much to me. And there's one line in that prayer that I would just... I mean, I would just think about all of the time. And it doesn't sound like it, maybe it's the most important line in the Lord's Prayer. But it's the line, give us today our daily bread. And I would think about that line. And I would say, Lord, you know, what is bread? Bread is that which sustains us. We've got to have bread to live. And so I would say, Lord, would you give me just enough, just enough hope for today? I'm struggling. Lord, would you give me just enough strength for today? I don't know if I can take another step. Lord, would you give me just, just enough power for today? I feel so weak. And on and on I would meditate on that passage. The Word of God can comfort us in our struggles. But understand, ultimately, this, this chapter doesn't seek to challenge us or inspire us to love the Word so much as it inspires us to love the one who wrote these words you see i love the word of god because it points to the god of the word in our english bibles the word you is used 240 times in this psalm and so this psalm is somewhat personal and in psalm 119 each time the word you is used it points back to god and so he says in verse 10 i seek you with all of my heart. In verse 12, he says, I praise, a praise be to you, Lord. You see, I love this word because I love God. 
I think I've told you before that, that Jan and I, when we started dating, uh, we dated long distance, and I, I was living in Albuquerque, and she at the time was living uh, in Austin, Texas. And we talked a lot on the phone after we started dating. We, we met each other, had a couple of dates, and then we just, we just couldn't talk long enough. We talked all the time on the phone, and when we weren't talking on the phone, we were sending, that was back when people still used email. You know, these days we don't use it as much. We text, but that was back when everybody was emailing, and so we emailed each other all the time. And you know, when I saw an email and it had her name attached to it, guess what I did? I read that thing. Now, there's some emails... You know, when I see the tag at the top and I think, oh, it's, it's not important, I just go ahead and delete it. I mean, how, how many of y'all do that? Do you ever delete an email before reading it? How many, let's show a quick show of hands. How many of y'all, man, look at all these uncaring people. I cannot believe that. We all do that, right? You know, we get some, you know, spam or we get some email from somebody we don't know. We just go ahead and delete it. But when I saw her email, I opened that thing up and I read it and I reread it. And I thought about her words. And I, then I started anticipating the next time I was going to get an email from her. And I started thinking about how I was going to respond to her email. Well, why did I do that? It's because I loved who wrote the email. I love this word. I love it because I love the one who wrote it. And God wrote it to us. And so maybe the question we ask as we conclude our message this morning is, so what do we do with all this? And here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to ask you to meditate on the Scripture. I'm going to ask you to take time every single day to open up the Word of God and read it. I've told you before at least a couple of times this year a practice that I've been involved in this year that's really, I've got to tell you, it's, it's been transformative in my life. And that is every, every morning I read one chapter out of a gospel. And I'm, in my, I'm just about done with my third reading of, of all the Gospels. This morning I was in, interestingly, it was in John chapter 20 where Jesus was raised from the dead. And I came across that line. I've been thinking about it all day. I came across that line where, where Thomas, he wasn't there after they, they received word that Jesus has been raised and they went and they called Thomas. And Thomas says, I, he says this, this line, I will not believe unless I see Jesus' hands and feet. And I thought, how many, how many people will make that same st- statement? That you could believe, but you won't. And I started reflecting on my own life. What, where, where, where in my life is there unbelief? Oh, Lord, I want to believe. I believe in you. But reading one chapter a day and finding something out of that chapter to chew on, to meditate on, it can change your life. Ultimately, you see, I meditate on Scripture because I love Jesus. I got to thinking this week about how Psalm 119, this beautiful acrostic, it's like, you know, from, a, from Aleph to Ta. That's, that's the last Hebrew letter. And I got to thinking about Jesus' words in the book of Revelation, where at the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus says, he says basically, I, I am the Alpha and the Omega. You see, this word in Psalm 119 this, this written word, it points to a bigger truth. It points to the living word. It points to Jesus. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and the last. And as I read this word, as I meditate on this word, friends, I fall more deeply in love with the living word of God.